Hey guys, Mike here for Hokey Hangover on behalf of the good folks over at Main Street Pharmacy. Former Downtown Blacksburg Business of the Year in 2019, Jeremy Counts and his staff at Main Street Pharmacy have you covered for all of your pharmaceutical needs. Medication, school supplies, you name it. Jeremy and his staff, family-owned business, they got you covered over at Main Street Pharmacy in Downtown Blacksburg. They've been a sponsor of our podcast since the beginning, going on five years now, and there's a reason why. They're extremely extremely reliable. They're good people. They're friends of ours, friends of the podcast. Head on over to Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street, downtown Blacksburg. Open Monday to Friday, 9 to 6, Saturday from 9 to noon. They're closed on Sundays. You can be reached at 540-605-7721. That's Main Street Pharmacy, 301 South Main Street in downtown Blacksburg. Hokie Hangover is proud to be sponsored by Homefield, the premium collegiate apparel brand in the United States. Based in Indianapolis, Homefield is committed to creating comfortable and officially licensed apparel featuring vintage college designs. Homefield puts in extra reps for each of the more than 150 colleges they highlight, discovering unique logos, mascots, and iconic moments to create the best look at your tailgate. Go to homefieldapparel.com and use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order. Homefield makes online shopping so easy, even I can't screw it up. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL to get 15% off your first order and acquire blue chip apparel from Homefield, an official sponsor of Hokie Hangover. Hey guys, Mike here on behalf of our podcast partner, Vivid Seats. That's right. Hokie Hangover Podcast is partnering with Vivid Seats this football season to provide you with all of your ticketing needs. Hanging to a game at Lane Stadium this fall, need tickets? Check out Vivid Seats. Going to another college football venue this fall? Use Vivid Seats. Checking out a concert venue even? Vivid Seats has you covered there as well. And they got a promo code just for you. That's right. Go to vividseats.com. Use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. Again, use the promo code BEAMERBALL20 at checkout for $20 off your first order of $200 or more. We can't thank Vivid Seats enough for their partnership this football season. Make sure to check them out. hangover gentlemen it's wake forest week but more importantly it is the halfway point of the virginia tech football season so we decided to bring on none other than friend of the podcast friend of everybody's podcast former virginia tech offensive lineman good friend of ours mr dwight vick dwight what's going on buddy hey what's good man i'm doing great man it is great to be on man i can't tell you that enough Rick, Andrew, guys, how's it going? Terrific. Um, really excited to have Dwight on for this week. Uh, Dwight, you you know how much I think that not just everyone or not just everyone in this podcast values your insight and opinion, but really the entire Virginia Tech community. And given kind of the the pivotal nature of the remainder of the year, I think uh, this is a great time to get your thoughts on it. So very, 
very excited to have you on and very thankful that you'll share some time with us. Oh, yeah, absolutely, man. No, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, and I've just been thinking back to the last time we had Dwight on this podcast, and it was late 2021. The writing was on the wall for Justin Fuente, and the program was very much in a flux. And, you know, the conversation we had that evening was a, a tough conversation, but it was one where Dwight provided fantastic insight into the state of the program that I, I think that a lot of people maybe not necessarily in the general Virginia tech community, but in the outside world might not have learned uh, for weeks, if not months later, about what the real boots on the ground situation was, but it came from recruiting in Virginia, those relations, alumni relations as well, the overall state of the program. And Dwight provided insight that at the time was really considered to be unmatched. So we're happy to have you on again here midway through a year or two of the new regime to kind of take a look at where everything stands. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be an absolute pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. I had a great time that night and I'm going to have a great time this evening. So let's, let's start here, Dwight. Hokies are two and four. Um, obviously last weekend went, I think pretty much how we all anticipated, right? Two different programs at different stages of, yeah, where they're at, you know, Norvell, obviously much further along in the rebuild to the point where Florida state's contending Brent Pry obviously in a year two situation, similar to one that Norvell was in a couple of years ago, right. Where things weren't looking particularly good for his program at the time. Uh, but the Hokies are two and four seems like there might be some general direction on offense. Now with Kyron drones defense has been a total mixed bag, uh, but a lot of issues with the run defense, but, you know, I, I think a lot of us were hoping that the Hokies would be in a better spot than two and four through six games. So I'm just kind of curious, you know, overall halfway through year two, how do you kind of assess how Pry and his staff are doing this year? And then coming off of year one, I guess, uh, how do you feel that he's done just kind of in the in the first year and a half that he's been on the job? Yeah, you know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'll say this on your, your, your guys' show and your platform, and I've said this on uh, radio shows I've been on and other other podcasts. I, I'm a Brent Pry guy. I, I stand by it. Um, am I biased because I know him? No. I'm a Brent Pry guy because um, I've known him and I've seen what he's done, and I know he paid his dues, and he knows what it takes to win at Tech. Uh, we were there at the same time when he was a grad assistant. I was there as a player for about three years together. Um, so I know he knows. Now, obviously, that was a different era, different time, different rules for college football. You built programs a little bit differently. But the the fact remains that I, I believe in him. But I, I do think that there's been a bit of a learning curve and pride and honest about it regarding, like, things to do and what, what he needs to do to build the program. Um you know, I thought we would have a few more wins. And that's not because I, I looked down upon Rutgers and Marshall. I thought those were winnable games. I've often said that there's no such thing as a guaranteed win in college sports, whether it be football or basketball, because there's so many intangibles that take place. Because you're dealing with 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old, 22-year-old students and players. Um, I thought um, there were some bright spots. I really feel like the youth movement 
that started last year and then this year with some guys like Caleb Woodson and you know Brent, um, Brandon Johnson, uh, Lauren Johnson's son, and other players coming in, and um, the transfers were huge. It was evident um, that in the portal, they did a great job getting guys like Tootin. I mean, what a talent he is. And he was at North Carolina A&T, an HBCU, tucked away in North Carolina. Shows, goes to show you my dad was always right, that there's talent everywhere. You've got to find it. They did a great job playing him. And, I mean, the way he's playing now, he's definitely an all-conference player, but he's also putting himself in positions to become a go-to guy for Tech. And you have Jennings praying that he gets back healthy or, you know, his early – started the season against ODU, he looked phenomenal. He he looked the part. And, you know, Lane and his other guys, the receivers, they upgraded. Um, but yet, with the same time, I think the biggest, I guess, not problem, but question mark I have is the quarterback situation. Because I feel like the stability at quarterback has been in, a thorn in Virginia Tech's time, going back to when Coach Fuente was there. Um, you had the great Gerard Evans, who set records, did a great job, who I really love watching play. And he was there with a great group of players to include Bucky Hodges, Cam Phillips, and Isaiah Ford. I mean, McMillan uh, from up here in Woodbridge, Hilton High School. They had a great team and a great offense. And then after that, you had Josh Jackson, Ryan Willis. I mean, the list goes on. Brumite, so it just became a revolving door, and you saw their record fluctuate. My biggest thing I would like to see is a tech guy's stability at the quarterback position because I think on offense and even from a leadership standpoint, even your team, it starts there. And I think Wells, who I thought last year I defended him because I felt like there were bigger issues than him. I felt like Wells coming in, I was going to trust the coaches and go with him and support him as the starter. But if you look at the way offense, the scheme goes and what we have, drones is a better fit. And you can't help but wonder, and I know I'm, I know I'm not alone in this, you, you can't help but wonder if Jones has started the season yep. against Purdue and a, a few other games, if we would have a couple of more wins because he's a game changer. And Virginia Tech historically, other than Jim Drunkenmiller, uh, Brewer, and Grant Knowles, has done exceptionally well with mobile dual-threat quarterbacks. They just historically, they've always done well. From the days of Brian Randall, Morris Shazo, Al Clark, um, Tyrod Taylor, the Vic, my family. I mean, we've always done well with dual threat quarterbacks. And I think some people overthink it. Well, you know, practice and the reads. <laughs> Listen, I've said this before. Football is not a complicated sport. Um, we sometimes complicate it. And I think thrones from what I've seen, and you don't have to be a player or from a player to see it, just he moves the offense much better. It's more fluid with him, and he's someone you have to account for, and you just have to wonder what was being shown in practice. Because to be fair, <clears throat> excuse me, his skill set, you really can't assess in practice because quarterbacks aren't live. Like, you can't tackle, you, you got to tag them, you can't even touch them. So his runs and ability to scramble, move the pocket, you're not going to see unless you're in live in action. So uh, I feel, I feel uh, at times excited about the future, but at times I feel frustrated about the present because I feel like we're one and one in the ACC with a winnable game coming up this weekend against Wake Forest, but we easily could be, have a better overall record, you know, being, being, be closer to bowl eligibility.
Dwight, I want to touch on what you just said about the quarterback situation and the decision that was made during training camp, right? And to be fair, not only what you said about not being able to truly assess what happens during practice with a quarterback like Kyron Drones, but also the fact that Ali Jennings was live, maybe the wide receiver core is that much deeper because you had that extra guy there. But Virginia Tech has a fan base is coming off of one of the biggest burns you can receive insofar as the indecision by the Fuente staff between Braxton Burmeister and Hendon Hooker, where ultimately Hooker is seemingly run off and becomes yeah. a Heisman Trophy candidate over at Tennessee. So <laughs> I forgot about <laughs> this fan base does not like seeing that staff make the wrong evaluation on the guys that they're watching practice every day. I know you're a pride guy, but do you feel like that's a bit of an indictment on their own knowledge of their own roster? Uh, I, that's actually a phenomenal question. I think it's more so about when you need to win and you want to win, going with what you know and you trust. I feel like heading coming to the season, I think they just trusted Wells more. I don't know. I have not heard that from the coaches. I'm just going off my instincts and my insight, being in the locker rooms and, you know, kind of putting my myself in their position as a coach. I think that's not the same thing. It was evident because I tweeted a lot about it and I was highly upset. It was evident during the Fuente era that they wanted to go with Brummeister because Hendon Hooker was telling everybody, I'm healthy, I'm good. I know he had some weird illness. He came back and was ready to go, and they still went with Meister. They were getting boat raced by North Carolina. Hendon Hooker came in. They made it a bit of a comeback before uh, Carolina pulled away at Carolina, and then they still kind of hesitated. Then there was that crazy Clemson game when he had the shakes, and there was still some hesitation about whose team it was, despite Hendon Hooker coming off a year where he basically saved the season. Uh, he had that great performance at Miami. This was a week after the most embarrassing and lopsided home loss in Virginia Tech, home lane stadium history, losing to Duke um, on a uh, Friday night. It was it's embarrassing. And they played all three quarterbacks, Quincy, Hendon, and the Brummeister kid, whoever it was, right? And then they go to Miami. Nobody had to win that game. And Hendon Hooker with Hazleton and company put on a performance. Um, Caleb uh, had three picks. Uh, it was just a, it was just a, a great performance. And, all of a sudden, you get you. All of a sudden, you're in a contention to win the Coastal Division. You had that tough loss to UVA, um, but that season, season got turned around. They even had two late shutouts against Pittsburgh and Georgia Tech late in the season. Um, that team played. That was Bud Foster's last season. I don't think Fry and Tyler Bowen and company have anything against drones. Um, I believe Tyler Bowen was instrumental in getting drones out the portal and getting him to come into Tech. Um, with that being said, I think I think from what I know and what I see, Wells just was more familiar, and they just trusted him more. And I think you have to understand with a first-time head coach and pride and his staff, they're going to make some mistakes. <laughs> I think sometimes we think these guys come and we say, oh, well, they're making this much money, and you know they're there, and they should know this is his team. What are you looking at? It's it's going to be it's going to be some mistakes made. You know, sometimes we let our memories trick us, you know, the golden era and euphoric memories with tech and the days of yesterday. But Beaver made some mistakes. 
he he taped it on my podcast about like even the national championship game when he was chasing points against Florida State, uh, you know, going for two and they didn't need to. He talked about different things like that, uh, waiting to waiting to play a guy late. Um, you can even go back and this is some people still are frustrated that they burned Tyrod's red shirt that year when they were getting both we were getting boat raced by LSU. There's no exact science. Sometimes the trial and error is up up front and center, and you see the error. And you forget about the trial and you focus too much on the era when, okay, they may have gotten it wrong, but we still have a lot of football left to be played. I don't think it's the same thing. Um, I don't have anything against Fuente, but I felt like it was very obvious and evident you brought Brummeister here to be the starter, which I love the kid Brummeister because he played injured. He was undersized. He played hurt for that team. He put that team on his back some games. Had a great one against UNC at home to start the season after COVID. But I feel like Hendon Hooker was the guy you could build around. I just feel like in college, and you're seeing it in NFL to some degree, the RPO game, the dual threat quarterback, it's not so much the future. But in college, those quarterbacks, if they're coached right, the scheme works, you can make plays and kind of hide some things, such as bad O-line play at times, or other issues in your offense, you have a dual threat quarterback that can make plays. And drones just seems to be that fit for Tech. I mean, the offense looks, and I know you guys probably agree, looks completely different than the ODU game to start the season. We absolutely agree, and we agree with a lot of what you just said right there. Everything from, you know, the grit that Burmeister showed, <laughs> grit being a word that was used intentionally there, to, <laughs> to you know, Hendon Hooker being a guy that you could build around. And, and you went back to that 2019 season. And one game that I've heard so much about, even over the course of the last few weeks, is that Virginia Tech-Miami game. When Hendon Hooker kind of had his welcome-to-the-spotlight moment. There's been a lot of comparisons drawn with drones in the Pittsburgh game and Hooker in that Miami game. Now, what I feel like that implies is that just like 2019, Virginia Tech has now found something and primed to go on at least something of a run. Do you feel like with what you've seen from drones, Virginia Tech is primed for that kind of run, that he is that kind of difference maker? Or, or do you feel like, you know, at best, it's still going to be a little bit of up and down? Um. Before I answer that question, I want to make a correction about I'm, I'm a big into this making corrections. I said that Duke game, it was Quincy, Hendon, and Brummeister. Brummeister had gotten yet. I believe it was Ryan Willis. They were rotating quarterbacks. Um, now to your question. Uh, I think yes and no. And I'm saying this, and I wish I could see Ricky's face because I always like Ricky's tweets. <laughs> I, I'm, I, I'm traumatized from these losing seasons because – as I told you before we jumped on and started recording this episode, I checked my favorite school, my favorite university, obviously, it's my favorite team. And when you lost some of the heartache that we've had, and we had our fair share of heartache and, and, and tough losses last year, was really hard. Uh, we lost a bunch of games and, you know, close. Um, and that was a that we didn't have a talented team last year, but we were in games against Georgia Tech and NC State. We led on the road on Thursday night. Um, I am looking for hope. 
<laughs> like I tweeted about the hero reference comparing drones to Batman. <laughs> I know you guys saw that. I am looking for a hero. Um, I don't know if drones alone is that guy, but I feel like him tooting the receivers, the tight ends, right? I feel like their personnel now could be something where we could start seeing a trend in the offense being a little bit more explosive and putting us in better positions to win ball games. Um, the one good thing, ironically, no more divisions in the ACC. The one good thing I look at is the schedule is favorable. I know Louisville is playing some phenomenal football right now, but Wake Forest and Boston College, UVA, um, even NC State, I feel like are all winnable games depending on, you know, how the defense plays. Um, and, you know, the offense has had moments against Rutgers, uh, against Marshall. Keep in mind, as, as bad as we looked in the first half against Florida State, and I said this and people thought I was being a homer, but I'm being honest. Against Florida State, it was 22 to 17 after two kickoff return. We stopped them. We got the ball back. It was 22 to 17. And Tech had an opportunity. But they shot themselves in the foot with a fumble snap on fourth and one or third and one or whatever it was. Um, penalties um, that negated a big play. There were chances to make that game interesting. It was an eight-point or nine-point game. Eight-point game, I believe, we were driving, and we had the offensive pass interference. So we were driving to go down and score and, and, and go for two. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, it just didn't happen. I think the pit game shows you that Tyler Bourne can be the offensive coordinator we need. That's the biggest thing. I think sometimes we look at personnel, which we should, but I think I look at the coaching, being able to put the, put the players you have in position to make plays. I love the fact that that pit game, we were aggressive. You had that bad turnover by drones where the ball just slipped out of his hands. It was a seven-point game. and we responded and we took our shots and we stuck to the run. I liked the innovation on the running game. I was crying for innovative plays with the running game. The one thing they've done, and I know they listen to me. I know they hear me because in the beginning of the season, I kept saying we need to have attention to urgency on offense and do more gadget plays and trick plays just to give a team something to look for. And then I believe the last three games we've done some gadget plays, double reverse passes and stuff like that, flea flickers. The reality is you got to do that to make plays and have a chance to maybe draw a penalty or make something happen to kind of give your offense a boost. I think a run is possible. I just wonder about the depth at certain positions, uh, specifically um, on the offensive line and defensive line in our linebacker unit. Um, but it's not like we're going to play any more teams as talented as Florida State. That Florida State team is definitely playing for a playoff berth and a potential national championship. So um, that's the good news. So you can build off that pit game. The one thing I'll say, and this is kind of corny, and this is, you know, I, I hate when people say it, but I understand it because I said it here recently. Yeah, they didn't quit. Those guys played hard, but they really haven't quit. They're really playing hard. They really, they did it last year, but they're doing it even more now. I think prior to Pry getting there, there were times I saw Tech quitting games, and that hurts my heart, but they did. I'm not seeing that right now. I'm seeing, like, guys believe, especially with drones in the lineup. But it can't be on him. Um, we got to scheme around some of our issues on the O-line. We got to scheme around some of our issues with the defense. But, again, this weekend, I know we're going to touch on it later in the show, this weekend is a good opportunity with Wake Forest coming into town. This is a game that you 
should win or can win. Um, and if they win, they'll be two and one in the ACC. You know, that's, that's huge. Dwight, the landscape of roster construction has completely changed over the last three to five years. Um, how much of, or actually, let me rephrase that. At what point in a coach's tenure, and especially in a rebuild situation, at what point does the coach have to start taking on more and more responsibility for his roster? Because there are legitimate reasons to give Brent Pry somewhat of a pass, uh, considering how poor the level of recruiting was under Justin Fuente in his last couple seasons. But the flip side of that, of course, is that Price now had two off seasons to go attack the transfer portal, and he signed one recruiting class. So, it, in in your perspective, at what point does a coach have to take on kind of the 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 lion's share of the responsibility for his roster? Yeah, that's a good question. I think it's more so about. Um, him getting a stamp on the program and him creating his culture. Um, the recruiting is important, but I think culture is just as important. And I think um, Brent Pry, Coach Pry, has got to get guys to fit his culture. And I think he is responsible for some of it. Um, but I think after last year, I believe he realized he had to be more aggressive in the portal. I think this offseason, we have to be aggressive in the portal on the O-line, D-line front. Um, but I think at the same time, I'm not going to compare his tenure starting off to Beamers because that would be asinine because it was just two different eras. Beamers took over a program on probation. Recruiting was different. There was no NIL. Virginia Tech wasn't even in the conference back then. It was just a different time. I think it's more so about giving him these first handful of years to see if he can build on what he did last year, if he can keep recruiting and getting guys that are going to really be able to help him win and add depth. Um, the key is you can get a lot of talent, but how does that talent fit your culture and fit your scheme? So what I mean is he's going to have to really get some guys that come in and be impact players like the receivers have been in Tootin. But he's got to get more of it. Does he go out and do what Rutgers did when they had, what, 35 guys new to the program or do what Dion did when basically they turned over 80% of the roster? I wouldn't do that, <laughs> but I do think you have to be a little bit more aggressive in getting guys in because you, Ricky, used the word rebuild. I stopped using the word rebuild. Uh, the reason why I did that, Ricky, is because I started looking at Virginia Tech. And I'm like, well, what is he rebuilding? Because it's been in it's been in shambles for even before he got here. He's building, and that that goes all the way to the janitorial staff, the medical staff, the training staff. You know food and health and nutrition group, you know, player engagement, personnel, everybody. He's building a culture. Um, the 25 is cool, you know, the number and all of that, Beamer Ball, but that era is no longer. It's about building the prior era, and, and that's why I don't call it a rebuild. I call it a build. So getting, getting personnel and getting recruits is essential. Um, I think he's done a great job recruiting the state and getting guys from NOVA which I've been saying for years, has a lot of talent. You see it now. And also getting guys in the 804. Um, 757 has always been a great hotbed for talent, but I think Virginia as a state and North Carolina and the DMV, D.C. and Maryland is probably where you're going to win at and get guys. I think Pride knows that. 
but you got to know you can't go fully portal and you can't go fully high school. It's a, it's a nice balance. And to be honest, this is going to sound funny, but I'm being dead serious. You kind of, you kind of got to hope and pray you can be a little lucky. And what I mean is, you know, Virginia Tech got my cousin because he was completely overshadowed by Ronald Curry. And it wasn't like Mike was an unknown. He was ranked fifth in the nation. I mean, he had a ton of offers. But Ronald Curry was a national Gatorade player of the year in two sports, football and basketball, which to this day is unheard of. I don't think it's even been done since or before. But getting a Mike Vick, and then you get a guy like Cam Chancellor, Sanch Green Gotham, you know, who had no offers. He was a basketball player. Him and Tyrod played AAU and stuff like that. Getting guys like that, hitting on people that no one really knows about. I'm not saying you got to get a bunch of no stars. I'm saying getting lucky is part of it. Getting some guys that you say, where'd this guy come from? You know, you got to get the guys like that. And then you'll give, be able to get the number one players in the nation like Kevin Jones. Um, but I don't think you get those kind of players until you get your player. Like, and what I mean, guys, and, and feel me on this, you know, if you talk, and I just did, a, I'm, I'm part of a documentary they're doing on Virginia Tech right now. It's in the works. And they asked me, who do I believe was the biggest recruits in the Beamer era? And I said, there's two players I always say Cornell Brown and Morris Shiseido. And people always like, oh, yeah, because Cornell Brown was considered the best linebacker in the country by Lou Holtz and other big time college coaches. He came from EC Glass. But at the same time, in that class, you got Antonio Banks, who played as a true freshman, and guys like that that came in with him. But if you think about Beamer, you think about Cornell Brown, Mike Vick, and Kevin Jones. And you could probably throw in Tyrod Taylor, right? That Beamer recruiting Mount Rushmore, right? Who's prize first Mount Rushmore player going to be? And that's what we're waiting on. That's, so, Ricky, what I'm saying is, who is going to be prize Mount Rushmore guy? You can bring in good class. Miami, Miami's been bringing in, bringing in great recruiting classes for years, and they won the Coastal once. <laughs> okay. Yeah, they've done um, a damn thing. Yeah, haven't done anything. They've been very, very entertaining. They're getting guys drafted. They tried to manufacture hype with the turnover chain. But at the end of the day, who is going to be that player for Pride? Maybe it happens in this recruiting class coming up. Because if we're being honest, and I can speak on this, I have the credibility to say this, when Tech got Cornell, they were coming off a 2-8-1 and one season. A 2-8-1 and one season. And then he came and they went to their first bowl game under Beamer, and then you had the streak. And he played and started as a true freshman. And then, of course, Cornell went to the Ravens. Um, he was a tweener. You know, won a Super Bowl championship with Peter Bowyer and those guys and Ray Lewis and, you know, arguably – him and Tapp and Bruce Smith, some of the best defensive players in tech history. Um, but Corey Moore is also in that rush more. But if you look at it, Corey Moore and Mike Vick and Cam Chancellor, and Cam is more of a guy you think of, of based on what he did in the NFL. So who is going to be that guy that, you know what, in 2000 or whatever, when Pride got this guy, that's the guy that did it. That's what you're going to see, and that's what we need to see. I don't know who that player is yet because – Maybe he's not there yet. Maybe he's on the way, but we don't know. That's the beauty in waiting and the anxiety in waiting because we don't know yet. But recruiting is not an exact science. But one thing I can tell you is you can point to a lot of teams, gentlemen, and say, you know what? When this guy got those guys, that's when it happened. Case in point, 
Dabo was very lucky. You lose Deshaun Watson, do you get Trevor Lawrence, a generational talent, right? And then you get those receivers, and you get ATA and all, and look, all those guys left, he ain't been the same since, right? Same thing. Look, at, he can go to the NFL. I mean, you know, um, Belichick looking, he looking sad right now, you know, because <laughs> Brady is gone. You know what I'm saying? And I'm a big Careful Brady guy. You, go. you got a Patriots fan in, on the pod right now. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm not trolling the Patriots. I'm a Brady guy. Uh, people, <laughs> I'm just saying, though, you guys know what I mean. Like, Pry has to get a guy that's a program changer. Like, we can talk about, you know, positions of needs, offensive, defensive linemen. Obviously, that is so crucial. But a game changer is the recruit when he signs. Some people know it, but then after the season's over and he plays, you're like, wow, that guy was a huge gift for prior. If he doesn't get him, are you sure he's there, right? Because we didn't know, I did, but everyone else didn't know Mike Vick was going to be that guy. And then he came on the scene against JMU, and then he never looked back. And then you get Kevin Jones. But you have to get one guy in a class. I know this is kind of like a philosophy-type answer, but I'm telling you this is what I believe and this is what I know. I can point out other, other teams, like when Baylor got RG3. There are a lot of teams you can go to, and the coach's tenure, he says, the year we sign this guy or these two guys, that changed everything forever. And I'm telling you right now, that's what's going to have to happen for Pride. That's why I use the example of a little bit of luck as well, because it wasn't so much Tech was lucky. They, they put in the work to recruit those guys I named, but they were also lucky in the fact that Michael Vick was overshadowed by Ronald Curry. They were lucky that Cornell Brown played at EC Glass and maybe not, a, not at a Tidewater or 804 school. And he, was, he was nationally known, but, you know, EC Glass has turned out some great players to include Carl Bradley, Ruben Brown, and Andre Kendrick. But Cornell Brown stayed close to home and went to Tech. And he led us to conference championships, multiple conference championships, and big BCS bowl games. Well, that's the kind of recruit you need because the other thing about this, and Ricky, you guys know this, Drew and Mike, you get a guy like that, a game changer, then other players will come. Um, and I know someone listening right now is like, well, Tech's got to win. Not necessarily. Um, yes, we got to win. But these kids don't really think like that. They didn't think like that back in the day because Tech signed great players um, after going 2-8-1, and one, and UNC's been killing our players from Virginia, and they've been on, they were on probation for a decade back when I had hair. So <laughs> they've been getting. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's not all about winning. It's more so about recruiting a guy, selling him on the fact that if you come in, you can change our program, the trajectory, but you can be the reason why. And I think that's what we need from Pride. I know that was a long answer, but I stand by that. No, I, I, I certainly see what you're saying, and I actually want to kind of hone in on the recruiting stuff a little bit because Brent Pry has been lauded for his his efforts and his – success to a degree in rebuilding some of these relationships in state and emphasizing the Commonwealth as a, uh, a, a resource for the program to elevate itself. He's been given high marks for improving alumni relations. Do I, I can't think of anyone that I know of that could give a better and more insightful perspective on those two items than you. So what are you seeing? What is your perspective? When you talk to folks, when you talk to power brokers in the state, 
when you talk to your your former comrades on the line and 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 from the team do they feel the same way or are you seeing that kind of success actually happen from a recruiting standpoint pride and marv and pearson and jc um and a lot of those guys are dj coach cheetah have done a great job really selling tech and hitting the streets hard um it's still going to take some time but perception is changing in the state and in the DMV where I live in the DC area where people are like, Oh yeah, tech, like they were just at my school. They're everywhere. That's huge. Now you guys know, especially when I jump on y'all show, I'm honest. Um, the alumni relations are headed in the right directions as well, but I just don't think the casual to diehard tech fan really understands the damage that was done in Fuente six years. There are still a lot of guys who ran through that tunnel who played two, three, four, five years at Tech who still love Tech but felt unwanted and don't really know how to connect with the new staff. And it's not like they're bitter. Sometimes fans hear that. They're like, what do you guys want, a statue? No. It's more so being welcome and knowing who I talk to. I often use the phrase systematic approach and making sure there's a system in place to get guys connected. I've been like the voice of tech for a long time. Not like, you know, shout out to my guy, Bill Roth, not that voice of the Hokies, but the voice of, you know, the former players and connecting them with my various shows and podcasts and platforms. But at the same time, you know, when you go up there, probably welcomes everybody back. Um, and he wants everybody back and he's doing that. But when the season starts, he's got a coach. And even in the off season, he's got a recruit. He's got a coach. And, it's not hard to find. I've been up there many times, talked to him. He stops what he's doing. We talk. And there are a lot of guys that he does that with. He does that with anybody, um, but especially the former players. But when I say the damage was done, um, there were guys like Jimmy Williams and Darren Evans and guys that wanted to come back or just didn't know who to talk to um, and also didn't know if they were welcome back. I think now – their energy is shifting, but it's still a work in progress. Things, and I say work in progress in a positive way. Um, they're doing a great job with player engagement, you know, where there's activities, there's places to gather, you know who to go to for tickets. Um, but think about for several years how that was not the case. And let me be flat out honest, this is a pre-Fuente problem too. And Beamer's last few years, you know, Jim Waver was sick, God rest his soul. It wasn't even easy and a, a great connection then because tech, I don't think tech, and let me say this. Let me take a deep breath when I say this. <laughs> I don't think tech, when they went into the ACC, was fully prepared because it happened so fast. You go from being a really good program to going into an even better conference in regards to credibility and expansion. And next thing you know, you win it. You know, you had the Beamer Ball website. You had the iconic lunch pail, but then it became a bigger brand. And then you had a bigger demand. Game day had been there several times, and the program just began to grow out of control. Because you go from the Mike Vick era to the Kevin Jones era and Lee Suggs to then the Tyrod Taylor, Marcus Vick era, and they were winning an ACC and going to these big bowl games. And then you have the entrance into Sandman, the stadium's expanded, and it was just 
crazy around tech. And I think lost in that was trying to keep the former players connected and also how do we kind of keep this thing growing yet connected to the people. And I think a lot of stuff got lost in translation. Um, and a lot of, a lot of former players um, felt like there was no way or no one I could talk to like it used to be because tech, Prior to that growth and expansion, you could go to up there and get tickets or just call Don Berlin or somebody like that or just show up and you'll be on the sideline. But then it became like, we can't have all you guys on the sideline because this place is sold out. 68,000 people in here. We need you guys sitting here, but we don't really have any place for you guys to sit. Where do the former players go and tailgate? That stuff was not being taken care of. And the, the blame goes around where the other programs, many of them inferior, they had a true system in place. And that's why I said it wasn't all on Fuente. And truthfully, it should never really be on a coach because coaches got to coach. They got to recruit. They got to scheme. They got to win. And I think when you look at that kind of stuff, it's more about your administration and your staff. And that and I- includes players and staff. Yeah. yeah, and actually, I want to I want to expand on that really quick before we shift. Um, do you believe that the the current administration is helping positively contribute to that change? Do you feel like that they're welcoming of of former players and alumni? And do you feel that they are actively helping fix this process? Yeah, they they did because I know Wit was not happy, and I know the program was embarrassed when my longtime friend, ex roommate, and teammate Derek Smith wrote the letter to the Collegiate Times about how he went there with his two beautiful daughters, and was not allowed to go in the locker room or even the new indoor facility. And DJ Parker went through that. I went through that. There were a lot of guys, and Derek wasn't trying to be an a hole, but he was letting it be known. Like here I am, I was the fifth round draft pick. I was an all-conference offensive lineman, one of the best left tackles to play at Virginia Tech, and I was not even allowed to come in anything that I helped build. Tech was embarrassed by that. Um, and they made a point, especially when Pry came in, he did some Zooms with us. He, they put it out there to let people know from the 80s and the 70s and 90s and the early 2000s that we want you guys back. J.C. Price was instrumental in that. It's been huge, and I think it is a help and not that probably did it on purpose because he's going to hire who he wants to hire. But I think having Pearson, Prelo, Jared Ferguson, who played in the weight room, strength and conditioning coach, um, you know, having um, Xavier D.B., Gavea Winslow, and others there in, you know, the staff, on the staff, in the building helps tremendously because you keep those connections where guys that know J.C. can call him and say, hey, listen, man, I want to take my nephew and tour him around the locker room. I was there last two spring games and they do a lot for us there's a lot of events and activities for us to go to and gather it is night and day different now when i say you know how different night and day is i know that thing has been around as long as it's been night and day but it's night and day different compared to like how it used to be and that's refreshing because i've said that the former players are your extension to the fan base because they can get on Facebook and, and, and Twitter and in Twitter spaces and even on great podcasts like this and talk to the fans listening about what's really going on. They can also sometimes explain stuff when the fan base gets really heated about certain decisions because those guys have been in that locker room and they feel connected and they have an idea what's going on. 
they can kind of explain it to the public, you know, and, and, and you need those relationships. You see that, you see that with the great programs, even now in the modern day game where the former players will come back and kind of reinforce uh, what the coaches are saying. Also, they kind of make a connection to the guys in their community that are being recruited, you know, Nothing like having a guy like Rock Carmichael bringing guys he's training and coaching up for a weekend. Or even guys like myself tweeting about Tech, you know, kind of an unofficial ambassador of Virginia Tech. Um, and that's what's really helping with recruiting is that Pra has a lot of guys like myself who sing his phrases about a coach that's going to look after you and take, after, take, take, take care of you. And, and we believe that. Um, and, you know, that helps with recruiting. I mean, recruiting is the combination of marketing, relationships, and also understanding your personnel. And I think, you know, he's prodded at Penn State. That's why I was never worried about recruiting, because if you look at all the guys we were losing, it was him. <laughs> he was getting them. Um, so, I mean, former player relationships, alumni relationships are really trending in the right direction. But I did want to preface this to say it's still a ways to go. Because you you know the damage was done, man. Like I don't, I, I want to move forward, but I just want to stress to, to to you guys and everyone listening, man. It was it was really sad and embarrassing how bad it was. Where you know I was talking to my guy D'Angelo Hall. This is D'Angelo Hall, man. I mean, one of the best DVs in the history of the NFL for the for Washington. Um, obviously, we know about what he did at Tech, you know. And how is it that he didn't feel welcome? I mean, think about that for just a split second, a minute, 30 seconds. How does D. Hall not feel welcome? I mean, God bless America, bro. That's crazy, right? But it's not the same now. It's better. Um, and it's good. And and I, I know the guys over there want to be that way. And I, I, I'm hoping that it continues, which I feel it will. Um, it'll be even better if we can start winning. But I think, you know, these guys there now need to understand um, who these people are I'm mentioning so they can keep the pride in the university and what it means um, to be a Hokie intact. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's all about winning, right? Big one this weekend against Wake Forest. I want to transition into that discussion, Dwight, with this, right? So Pry has his press conference earlier this week. Uh, said that Drones is, you know is going to be a starting quarterback. They took off the, you know, vaunted or right off the depth chart between Grant Wells and, and Kyron Drones. And it's pretty clear Drones is starting. Wells is not healthy. I have a question for you as a former player, though. So there was much made about, you know, Drones' performances against Rutgers and Marshall. And, you know, it, it was clear that there were signs of improvement for Drones, um, especially in that Pittsburgh game. And it didn't really seem to me like Pry would necessarily like fully back him, right? Kind of leaving the door open. Well, you know, if Wells ever got healthy, you know, oh, you know, we'll we'll assess it then. I mean, you and I both know, everybody on this podcast knows, everybody listening knows that this is Kyron Drones' team moving forward. But as a former player, 
when you hear your coach go up there and not necessarily throw like a hundred percent of his backing behind the guy who's clearly kind of making the offense go, what's your take on that as a former player? And how do you think that affects the locker room? You know, this is going to sound funny, um, but players, they listen to the coaches in press conferences if it pertains to their position group or them themselves as far as the player. But other than that, they have so much going on between their girls, their crew, you know, family back home, schoolwork, whatever. They're locked in on that. And you deal more with your position coach, right? So you'll pay attention to something he may say. Um, I'm sure the team, they, they might hear it or whatever. And it might typically, and I'm sure prize this way, Typically, what you hear and what we hear on Tuesday or Monday, he's already told the team that in their team um, team team room. Um, typically, like I'm going back to the late 90s, but I'm sure it's not changed amongst colleges across the country. When coaches address the team after a game, then they go back and meet with their staff and talk about the good, the bad, the ugly adjustments and the hard conversations that might need to have. Then they come in, you have the workouts film, and then the, the coach will address the team. And typically, you have an idea what the coach is going to say to the media because a good coach to great coach is going to make sure the players understand his vision. He'll say, hey, we still need everybody in here. Well, we need you, man. Get healthy. You know, he will might say something like that. Um, I do think, you know, in previous times, because probably going on his second year, I do think with Fuente and other people, other coaches I've seen at other schools, there's been a mixed review because it seems like stuff is just not being followed through or there's confusion or false promises. That's where you lose the locker room, when everybody knows this quarterback or this running back is better. I remember Wyatt Teller was a backup, but he was playing some. And I was like, for the love of God, why is Wyatt not starting? (laughs) I remember tweeting it. And saying it. And then I was in Blacksburg and they were like, well, you know, the guy ahead of him as a senior. I'm like, I don't give a damn. Why is Wyatt not playing? <laughs> and, and and it was because everyone knew why it was better. Wyatt is a, was a monster then. He's a monster now. Um, and they finally started him. He had some adjustments with the holding calls because he was so aggressive. But it was a clear upgrade. Um, so people know and players know. I don't think coach will probably lose the locker room I do think he will frustrate the fan base if Wells is healthy and goes back out there that will be a colossal boom that will be like wow um but at the same time as a tech guy um if that's what probably went with I'm gonna support Wells I just don't see that happening because the reality is the players know I mean the one thing I will say Drones does better than Wells is not even really something you see as far as throws, running the ball, and, and, and you know, scheme and going through your progressions. The one thing he does well is it always feels like it's his, 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 his offense, his team. Uh, I was talking to my cousin Mike Vick about this last year when he went to the West Virginia game. He felt like last year you could tell Wells was not in complete control of commanding the huddle. Um, you only saw him play with emotion against that NC State game where he had that nice run and we went up 21-3. to You felt like, wow, okay, this guy does enjoy it. Other than that, he just he was just playing the position. When I watched Drones, I saw him against Florida State talking trash. I saw him against Pittsburgh 
talking to DBs and linebackers. I saw him, you know, do the little arrow when he, you know, threw the touchdown pass. He has that swagger and that moxie that players want to play with and be around. And, yes, it is still a game, and you want to have fun. Um, I just think when it comes to when, when Pry says that, it's more so coach speak. It's just him saying that, you know, Wells is still going to be a part of the team. Because to be fair, knock on wood when I say this, I'm knocking on the biggest piece of wood in my house right now. <laughs> <laughs> you still need Wells because Jones is a mobile quarterback. He's a dual threat. So if Wells comes back healthy, you don't want to lose him because if something happens to Jones for a half, a high ankle sprain or something cramping, you need, you need Wells to come in and play. And that's what good coaches do. I think players tune that stuff out because they know, but I also think guys that play like myself understand you don't want to lose the locker room and lose Wells because Wells didn't really do anything wrong. He got injured against Purdue. And, you know, with the portal and things like that, it's tough because Don V said this. He said, and I agree with that, I said this as well. In today's game, you got to recruit future players and recruit the players on your roster because they can always leave. And that's a different job compared to my guys that coach me. So, you know, he's got to keep Wells engaged too. Um, there's plenty of times we saw where Hendon Hooker, you know, went out and Ryan Willis and then Quincy came in against that six overtime game against Carolina. What about on the road against uh, Miami when Tyrod's helmet got knocked off. It was starting and 16, and Logan Thomas came in and threw a strike for a first down. So there's other examples. Uh, we were playing Miami when they had a 35-plus game winning streak in 2003 at home. The infamous give-it-to-me roster, give-it-to-me roster with the Andrew Hall game when he took the ball. Well, in that game, Brian Randall got benched on national TV. Marcus Vick came in and threw an immaculate touchdown pass to Ernest Wilford over the great late Sean Taylor. Um, Marcus was subsequently that later that year suspended and then dismissed from the team. Brian Randall was the starter next year. But imagine Brian Randall was never told he was going to play again. He, you know, and transferred. Now you have no quarterback. So I know I'm giving you a lot of examples. I'm sure you guys listening and everyone right now on this show understand my point is that you can't dismiss Wells like it's off with your head and you go to this well down here, no pun intended, and sit here and take your medicine. No, we still need him too. And that's the truth of the matter. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was coach speak too. Um, and the the one comment I made on this podcast uh about a month or so ago now, I can't remember if it was after after Marshall or after Rutgers, after one of those games. I just said if Wells comes back and they reinsert him back in his starting lineup after Drone seems like he kinda has his feet under him and Bowen looks comfortable calling plays for him, that would I think be the first time where I really questioned Pry and this offensive coaching staff in terms of like, man, are they, are we sure they get it? Like, are we sure they kind of fully understand this? Cause that would be kind of the moment where, all right, we're kind of reverting to something where, you know, the offense wasn't the running the ball very well. And now we're relying on, on Wells and his arm and he hasn't played in, you know, five or six weeks, what have you. Yeah. I, if if that happens, (laughs) One thing for sure, Twitter would not be born if that happened. <laughs> it would not. That it would not. <laughs> it will be so much to talk about. You guys will have a lot of material for your show. Yep. Well, Dwight, 
Twitter is a good way to gauge the fan base, right? And I feel like despite the Florida laws or the Florida State laws, excuse me, looking back at that pit game, there has been a little bit of a change in sentiment. The pit game was almost proof of concept in a way. We'll write mm-hmm. off Florida State because everyone with the brain knows that those are two programs on two extremely different levels right now. But when you look at the Wake Forest game, right, it's the first game of going down the stretch of six games with five very beatable teams. From a fan base perspective, from a morale perspective, and this is a, a, a question from a longtime listener, Matt Hart. He told me to ask this. I want Ricky LeBlue's opinion, too, because that's who he originally directed at. It. Is this more of like a must-win game to prove himself or a can't-lose for the enthusiasm of the fan base? Is this an important game for Brent Pride to get that vaunted second straight Power 5 win? Yes. And to be fair and honest, I said the pit game was a must win. Um, and I never really cared for that thing until I got in the media business. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't understand it as a player. Like, man, you know, why didn't every game a must win, man? But, um, yeah, because um, Wake Forest is a very winnable game. And you win that game. Even if, even if it's similar to what we did against Pitt by double digits or you have a punt return, a fumble recovery for a touchdown, or a kickoff return, like if Tootin has a kickoff return in that stadium at 3.30 and the second half is going to be dark, it's going to be crazy. And perception is reality, right? So you win that game, because I'm not even about to make Wake Forest either be some kind of contender because I've seen Wake Forest. They're decent. Um, it's not like, you know, they're not beatable. Tech can definitely win this game. But you win that game, you're 2-1 in the ACC, you know. And a lot of times sports is about momentum, uh, getting, on a, getting on a little bit of a run. Um, I think prior, if he, if he can get those guys locked in, I think it will also be huge for confidence. Um, Remember, I said this to you guys on Twitter, and I said this on other platforms. When I say build, prize building, not rebuilding, but he's building, I've said this even when Fuente was there the last couple of years. Many of these guys in that lane stadium and in that uniform, the orange and maroon, don't know how to win. They're learning how to win. And what I mean is, I was watching a game against ODU last year in ODU Stadium. I had front row seats with my wife and my son. And my son, who's a senior now in high school, he looked at me and he said, this is after we dropped our third of four interceptions that could have won or sealed the game. One of them would have been a pick six by Strong. My son looked at me and said, yo, these dudes don't know how to make game when they plays. And I started to realize is, in those close losses where we had to fumble against Georgia Tech, you know, going down the run clock out um, and different moments like that, it's really knowing and learning how to win. So you win a game at home. Now you won two at home. You're two and one in the ACC. No, you're not playing for an ACC championship this year. But it's also two and one in the ACC where 
I don't think these guys and Blacksburg have been to a win in the ACC yet. That's why I say it's a build because everything Prod does with these guys he's coaching will be first. Like when I was at Tech, yeah, you know, we expected in July and June, yeah, we, we should be playing for a conference championship. It's us, Miami, West Virginia, or Syracuse. Like we knew. Um, we knew at worst we were going to win nine games because um, we have been doing it. These guys can't speak with that confidence. They're learning how to win. So you beat Wade Forest. Of course, everyone outside of Blacksburg would be like, I don't want to see those highlights. I don't care about Virginia Tech and Wade Forest because we're irrelevant right now. But guess what? The potential recruits and players, the parents, the fan base, and other ACC teams see that. And perception is reality because you beat Wake Forest, you go 2-1, and one, you're 3-4. and four. You win the following week, you're 3-1 and one in ACC, now you're 4-4. Four and four. Two games went bowl eligibility. What people going to say? I tell you what, man, that guy, Coach Price, starting to get a little momentum. They're building something in Blacksburg, Jimmy. <laughs> right? That's what they're going to do. It's all about perception. You know, I mean, they did it to Wake Forest. Look at Duke right now the doormat of the ACC for as long as I can remember, back when I had hair, since then, right? I keep going back to it. I miss my hair, okay? So <laughs> the reality is is that you get some momentum. That's why I say it's a must-win game because then it's like, hey, they're 2-1 in the conference play, and they're playing some good football right now. What an upgrade Jones is and what a player he's been. And the defense, you know, because those guys, um, they don't want to go out there and lose and give up 200 yards rushing. They know they get now. One thing's for sure: they get online, they see that stuff. Because you heard the offensive line talked about every time they went online, they read about how bad they were. They pay attention to that stuff, so it'll be a good morale booster if they can get it done. Dwight, you mentioned the the running game uh, on on the defensive side, and that's really been the Achilles' heel, obviously for Virginia Tech. It, for, from your perspective, given your background, what's been the biggest issue on the defensive side in the run game? Why are they giving up so many big plays? And how does it get fixed? Um, they're thinking too much. They got poor angles. They're over-pursuing and gap integrity. Many times when they're blitzing, they're hesitating. They're not following through and going all the way in. And when they know the play, because they're getting coached up right, they're over-pursuing and they're getting washed down. And some of that is correctable. It's experience and, and coaching. And some of that is just you got to have to take your lumps because this is not a group that features Vegas, Robinson, Vince Hall, and Xavier Adibi. Um, They're good. Some, some good there. There's some good players there. Um, but at the same time, I go back to just having a feel for the scheme. I mean, when I say feel for the scheme, those players I just named took their lumps too. But they were natural instincts, and they also had natural expectations of what to do when they were on the field. Sometimes when I look at Tech, you'll see them get a tackle for a loss. You'll see them get a big play. And it's like, wow, because they went and attacked that play on defense with confidence. And sometimes you see them kind of catching blocks or waiting, and then you see the running back pick up a first down when it was third and six or third and five because we kind of hesitated. We weren't sure of ourselves. So those are small things when it comes to watching film and correcting. But then there's some times when, you know, you play a team like Florida State when it doesn't – we're just not in a position to challenge them at that level with our front seven. There were moments there. 
But to sustain that for four quarters, that's what I talk about with depth mixed in with talent. Um, but, Ricky, the good news is, is that you won't see too many offenses like that. And, you know, um, you got Wake Forest, you got BC, you got UVA, you got NC State. So, I mean, that's, that's I don't have the schedule in front of me, but those are games in which, you know, Tech's defense will be challenged, but not to the level of what you saw at Florida State. Um, you know, so some of that's just experience. You know, um, Tech is playing a lot of young guys, too. And I'm not giving them an excuse, but um, you see some guys, they burn my guy Caleb Woodson's red shirt. Um, he's playing now, and he's in the two deep. And he's a guy I watched in high school at Battlefield High School up here in Haymarket. I'm a big fan of his. I've talked about him quite frequently. Here's a guy that's playing where um, I knew he would play, but um, he, of course, probably wants to redshirt some guys, but at the same time, he needs them. So you're going to take your lumps sometimes with some of these guys um, that are still learning to be comfortable in the scheme. Dwight, I know you have very high expectations for this program, just given what you played through, given what you've seen in the time since then. I also know you're a big believer in Brent Pry. What's your current expectation for where this program should be in two years? And what would you need to see through the final six games of this season, which, as you mentioned, there's winnable games there. You take out Louisville, and the rest of the schedule is one and nine in the ACC with the one win being Boston College over UVA. So that's two teams on the schedule. What do you need to see to really feel like we're headed in that direction to get to where that expectation should be, whatever it may be, in two years? Um, in, in regards to what I need to see is what I saw against Pittsburgh, and that's the scheme and coaching and players knowing what to do. And what I mean is, there were too many times last year where we called timeout, then we needed to call timeout again, or guys were lining up wrong. The NC State game is a game against a very, very dynamic team, a very good NC State team. The offensive line um, had 10 pre-snap penalties. 10. Um, I want to see us continue to play mistake-free football. Obviously, you want to make some mistakes, but I mean in the terms of penalties where you don't shoot yourself. Um, less bonehead plays. I mean, accidents are going to happen, but, you know, that Florida State game, we were driving, we had momentum, and then we fumble on the quarterback sneak. I mean, that happens, but it just seems kind of weird that it happens with Drone. We recovered it, but then, you know, it happened. Or we get that big catch from number 12, but then we have um, a backer receiver in because Lane went out because he was tired, and then we get called, he gets called for offensive pass interference and the gate's a big play. Less of that and more of what we saw where you get your playmakers in. I like to see Drones and Malachi Thomason at the same time. I like to see them continue to expand the playbook on offense where you don't rely like it's the 90s when I played so much in your defense, but your offense can win a game, you know, 38 to 27, where the offense leads the way. Um, I think basically what I'm describing is growth and improvement. It may sound corny, may sound like an obvious answer, but I think improvement is not what you always see with some of these programs are still trying to figure it out. I think if Tech can see, do that, I'll be more than happy and feel better about the trajectory of this program. Where I see us in a few years, 
if we get the players I know we're going to get or hope to get, if we continue to have stability at the quarterback position, I have no doubt. And I say this, I know there's going to be somebody that's going to roll their eyes. I have no doubt we will be playing for an ACC championship. Not, not, in a, not a doubt in my mind. But the biggest thing they got to do, I know my guy, number 65, the left tackle is young. We got to get some athletes on the offensive line and some depth on the defense and offensive line. Um, the receivers and all those little sexy skill positions that everybody wants to talk about, all the kids want to be when they're growing up, you know, they're, they're important. But if you go back, and this is not talked about enough, and many of the best Virginia Tech teams in history, the common denominator was the offensive and defensive line. Whether it was those years we had Wyatt Teller playing alongside Jonathan McLaughlin, or you had the Hopkins brothers, Carton Powell, and all those guys. You go back to back in my day with Bill Connedy, Todd Washington, myself, Janelle DiNapoli, Chris Malone, you know, the big uglies, the big sexies, because I'm not ugly, I'm big sexy. But all jokes aside, <laughs> you got to get those guys. <laughs> you got to get those guys that move the crowd, move the pile, you know, and that's probably not talked about enough. And that is my biggest position in is getting that. But I, I have no doubt, you know, I know there's a lot of talk about confidence expansion. What would ACC look at? Well, ACC will have new teams. So, you know, winning the conference championship just got that harder with bringing in SMU, Stanford, and I think Cal or whoever. However, um, you're not adding teams that are coming in to that right at this moment to challenge for the ACC. Uh, but I feel like if Pry continues to get his culture in place and continues to get talent, if you can build around drones, you can really do something. I just feel like all the quarterbacks I see right now in the ACC, I'm just sticking to the ACC, that are winning have established quarterbacks. Um, you know, again, you look at um, North Carolina with um, May. I mean – they really just tweak their defense right now because their offense was never an issue. Um, and, and they're, they're in contention and, and teams like them are doing well. Like the quarterback position is essential. And then you get the offensive line and, and you're cooking with grease. But I, I feel like in a few years, probably will continue to have consistency. And the one thing I say, and I said this earlier in your show, um, it is some learning, some learning curve, some trial and error because, um, you know, prior to this last year, that's why I appreciate his honesty. He said, you know, last year we really didn't know what kind of identity we had. I'm paraphrasing, but he said, we don't, we're not kind of identity we had. We started off trying to be a power run team. We went spread. So someone that's more so trying to figure out. But I will say, if we're going to keep that lunch pill going and you're going to keep the other traditions that Pride's familiar with, you got to make sure you have players that fit that tradition, fit that scheme. You can't be hollering lunch pail D. Lunch pail D is back in the summer at the ACC media day, and they give up 11 rushes for 200-plus yards in one game. Um, you have to understand what that means to stay the lunch pail defenses here because that means you make game-winning plays on defense. That means, you know, you come into a stadium and you're not scared the first quarter and a half and find yourself down 22 points. You come in and you're up 6 or 22 points. Um, that's what I mean. And, and if you start seeing games where Tech comes out and they set the tone, that's when you'll know. And that's what I expect to see with Pry, more of us coming out and having an identity 
and also players understanding what it means to be a Hokie. Because I think you're starting to get guys in that program, especially the young guys, that understand what it means to be a Hokie, like understanding what, what they want to do, you know, bringing tech back, so to speak. Uh, it won't be easy, though. It won't be easy because, you know, I said this before, I'm going to say this again. When Beamer was building his program, ODU did not have a football team. Liberty did not have a football team. Women married there, but they didn't do anything. And then Richmond is always Richmond, you know, great academic school, but they weren't challenging tech. And then, you know, heck, CNU wasn't even a school. It was, uh, didn't have a football team. They weren't even D3. They were a community college. A lot has changed since then. Um, you're dealing with JMU, Liberty, and ODU, along with North Carolina. Everyone knows about Virginia as a state being a hotbed. So the, the, the culture piece, the brand of Virginia Tech football has to continue to trend upward. It has to continue to trend upward because the branding now is part of this whole thing with NIL. It's kind of like what Mike Young's done with the Virginia Tech basketball program. Winning the ACC, um, when Mike Young did that in basketball, did so much Virginia Tech basketball brand, which is why now you're not surprised when they get a four-star basketball commitment because – Virginia Tech has done great in the ACC since Mike Young has got there. And that's what you want to see with Virginia Tech football, where it's like, oh, yeah, because Ricky knows this, but I grew up <laughs> when I was at Tech as a player. I grew up at Tech. I was a player, student athlete. But even after I graduated, I remember after Tech would win a game, the first thing I would do on Sunday mornings was wait to see where we were ranked. How far did we move up? When's the last time we've done that? <laughs> it's a long time to wait. Like, it's been a long time when we were like, hey, man, when we rank this week? Are we ranked 18th? Did we get up to the 15th? Oh, we need them to lose. We can jump up three spots. We are so not close to that right now, which is what we got to get back to. So that's what I see, though. I see us being ranked. I see us being relevant in two more years and also in contention for a conference championship. Um, I think it's a little bit of a more realistic viewpoint when you have the portal versus back in the day when, you know, you didn't have the portal. I think that kind of expedites things. You can get some more day one impact players compared to when you had the red shirt and build and build and build brick by brick. One thing Pry has been consistent in saying is he wants to build a foundation. He doesn't want an overnight success. And I respect that because you want to make sure you build your house on a strong foundation and not Legos because Legos, if you step on the wrong, Everybody gets injured. <laughs> Dwight, you mentioned the, uh, the the quarterback position, how paramount it is to not have a revolving door there. Virginia Tech's playing a program this weekend in Wake Forest, and we got to get your, your pick here uh, before we get out of here. But Virginia Tech's playing a program in Wake Forest that under Dave Clawson has consistently had good quarterback play. This year, they don't have that. And it seems like they've taken a step back offensively. Mitch Griffiths has a lower uh, QBR than Phil Dracovic, who was moonlighting at tight end for at Pitt uh, during the bye week last week. Um, Mitch Griffiths is turning the ball over a bunch. Uh, Virginia Tech welcomes Mitch Griffiths and Wake Forest to Blacksburg at 3.30 on Saturday afternoon. It's the homecoming game. Dwight, are you going, by the way? No, I'm coming up when Corey Moore gets honored the NC State game. That's, that's um, good reason to go to that one. <laughs> yeah, I'm coming up. My, my man Corey Moore reached out to me and wants me and a lot of guys to come up. So um, I'll be up for that. Um, 
my son has a big fall league basketball game. And then um, I work most weekends. I make time for tech football. I feel like sometimes I can watch tech in agony and peace in my living room or basement versus being in the stadium around 66. <laughs> that's, how I feel. that's that's how I feel too. Especially now yeah, that I have the toddler. I... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Congratulations, by the way. Yeah. Thank yeah. You. <laughs> uh, yeah. But, Never sleep again, by the way, like Freddy Krueger, for those that are old enough to remember. Never sleep again with a toddler. Remember, That's you right. know, you'll never – I mean, tell you, I got three kids. Um, but God bless them. Um, but I, I I like Tech to win this game. I mean, Wake Forest, um, I mean, they've come a long way compared to when um, Tech first came into the ACC. Uh, you know, I think what Wake Forest is 0-2 in conference play and 3-2 and overall – Two and one at home and one and one on the road. So this is a decent team. They've lost two straight coming into this game. They lost two straight. So Tech is one and one in their last two games. So I think Tech is playing with a little bit better house money. They're at home. It's a three thirty kickoff. Perfect time. Fall is here. Blacksburg's going to have that little overcast look by the time they come out the locker room. I remember those games in Lane. You come out after that three thirty kickoff and it's dark. You get some of the turkey legs and the popcorn. It's going to be a good night. I think Tech plays well. I think drones and company roll. I'm not going to about say it like a blowout. I mean, that would be great. I didn't expect Tech to blow out Pitt, but I, I feel like Tech is playing with confidence. You saw them playing with confidence against Florida State at times, especially in the second half. It was a defense that couldn't sustain anything. But um, Wake Forest, you know, prior to losing that great quarterback they had, I forgot his name, um, he recently graduated, but, you know, they were really tough. They had that big shootout last year with UNC that was on ABC last year. That was a big shootout game, and they had some games where they played well. Um, I remember Virginia Tech last time they hosted Wake Forest in Lane. Um, Bud Foster's last game as a defensive coordinator in Lane Stadium. Tech played real well. Um, I kind of I kinda got a feeling for that. But I, I will say that with Tech, you know, right now, I don't assume anything. Um, you know, I thought they were going to have the same kind of feeling against Purdue, but at the same time, that long layoff really hurt them. And I also felt like, um, you know, Drones, they didn't realize how injured Wells was. So if Drones comes in a little bit earlier, maybe the outcome is different. But I like Tech to play well and beat Wake at home. Um, I'm not even being a homer right now. I just feel I feel good about it. I know Wake played Clemson tough and lost seventeen and twelve, but I'm not sure how good Clemson is right now. Yeah, that's the interesting thing about this Wake Forest team, right? They they haven't really played a tough schedule except for their last game against Clemson. As much of a, of an important game as this is for Virginia Tech, this is kind of an equally important game for Wake Forest, right? Wake Forest is losers of two straight. And they've got a pretty tough schedule ahead once they get past uh, Virginia Tech and then the worst team in the conference in Pittsburgh. Uh, Florida State, Duke, NC State, Notre Dame, Syracuse is quite the stretch to finish tough the close. year. Tough close. They, they need this for a bowl game. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really do. I. It's really hard for me to bet against Dave Clawson to lose three straight games, uh, especially in a game where it is kind of a pick-em toss-up game. I know it's on the road. But Wake Forest, when they've run the ball, the advanced statistics say that they're pretty good at it. Their offensive line rates pretty well on pro football focus. 
They've been moderately efficient running the football. Um, if Mitch Griffiths is able to not turn the ball over as much as he has this year, I think Wake Forest wins. I'm actually going to pick the Demon Deacons to win this one by a score of maybe 27 to 24. I think it's going to be pretty close. Andrew? Yeah, not a bad, not a bad pick. Yeah. I'm riding a little bit of optimism here. Uh, Wake Forest has a lot of the same problems that Virginia Tech has had. Offensive line play has been somewhat shaky. Mitch Griffiths has been sacked 22 times. Not against the stiffest competition, too. They've been unable to run the ball between the tackles. I'll take the better quarterback in a matchup of two very flawed teams. Virginia Tech 24, Wake Forest 21. I, too, am picking the Hokies. This opened as Wake Forest being a three-point favorite. It's now swung to Virginia Tech as a one-and-a-half-point favorite as we sit here recording on Wednesday night. I can't ignore that line movement just from a, a Vegas standpoint. In addition, I just I think where Virginia Tech's had problems stopping the run this year, right? We, we talked about the run fit issues and gap integrity and all the issues they've had stopping the run. It's been against these elite burner running backs. And Wake Forest has a good running back in DeMond Claiborne, but he's not a guy who's just going to blow the top off a defense uh, from a running back standpoint in the way that Rasheen Ali would with Marshall um, in the way that Trey Benson would with Florida State last week. Um, I just think that Wake Forest, they, they've had some success offensively. They're just really missing something, the quarterback, without Sam Hartman. Uh, Griffiths has just not been consistent really much at all. Uh, Andrew just alluded to the fact that the offensive line, while decent run blocking, which I think is notable considering Virginia Tech's issue stopping the run, they're having trouble protecting him in the passing game. And I just think Virginia Tech's offense is going to have some success here. I do think the offense is playing with some confidence. They haven't had a lot of points to show for it. Like last week against Florida state. I think that's more of a, you know, more of a testament to Florida state's athletes for sure. But Dwight, I kind of agree with you. Like I, I think Kyron drones in this offense, they're, they're starting to show a little bit of something. They're starting to play with a little bit of swagger. They were not scared in Tallahassee last week. It didn't look good in the first quarter, obviously, looked like the Hokies were ready to roll over, and they didn't. And that's something that we've talked about um, on previous episodes and something we've touched on earlier tonight. Tech's not quitting. Like, this team's not no. quitting, guys. Like, may not be very good, may not be very consistent all the time, but they're not quitting. Like, that's been the one consistent thing all year. Like, they've dug themselves into holes. They've also dug themselves out of a lot of holes. <laughs> like, Purdue yep. game. They dug themselves out of a hole on the road at Rutgers. Uh, and, and they dug themselves out of a hole at Florida State against the best team on their schedule. The only mm -hmm. game where Tech didn't really dig themselves out of a hole was Marshall. They just kind of went to Huntington and laid an egg. But mm -hmm. I, I just like the way this offense is trending right now. Wake Forest defense, like the, their numbers look okay. They haven't really played a good offense yet. Not saying that Virginia Tech's a good offense either. I think Virginia Tech's trending and finding themselves a little bit here. 
I think the Hokies win this one close. Uh, we've all talked about scores in, in the low to mid 20s. That's kind of where I'm at, too. Uh, give me like 24, 21 Hokies or 27, 24 Hokies. I think Tech wins this game by a field goal uh, in Blacksburg homecoming weekend. Tech needs this one bad. Wake needs it bad. Tech needs it bad for, you know, vibes, optimism, going through the rest of the schedule with some games that are winnable. So that's how that's how I'm feeling. We have three picks for the Hokies. Ricky holding his nose and picking Wake Forest uh, in a close game. Clearly, it would not surprise Ricky at all if Virginia Tech won this game either. <laughs> no, it won't. And I'll actually be in attendance for this one. I'll be in the press box on Saturday. So Beautiful. Uh, looking nice. forward to looking forward to experiencing that fall Blacksburg that Dwight was talking about. I do miss it. Um, there's there's something about that like first like crisp breeze when you should have worn like a thicker hoodie or maybe a jacket and you get caught. Talk about it. it, man. Talk <laughs> about it. Walking Talk across the drill you... field. Yeah, uh, like it's. Man. Where, where's the DeLorean? Where's Michael J. Fox and Doc at? I want to go back. <laughs> oh my God. Amen, man. But yeah, I, I am really looking forward uh, to being in Blacksburg this weekend. It's gonna be, I, feel, I, I think it's just a great weekend. I think it's going to be a great weekend for Tech, man. I just do. I mean, regardless of the outcome, I mean, Ricky, you just talked about it, man. You know, homecoming, Tech. Now you got me thinking about going, but I can't. But um, <laughs> it'll be, it'll be, I feel good about it, man. I mean, uh, you know, Elon, you know, they they beat Elon by twenty, you know. They they they, they got they beat Vanderbilt, Wake Forest and ODU. ODU was up on that most of the game. And um yeah. Forest pulled it out and Georgia Tech, you know, destroyed them. And Clemson was a bit of a slug fest. So I mean, they're a solid team, decent team, but I just think tech I I don't know. We'll see. I mean, that's the beauty of it, right? We'll see. But I, I like Tech in this game, man. I mean, I hope I'm. I hope I'm right. I'm. I, I'm not even being a homer. Like I think this is a winnable game. I, I think. Um, I think the offense. I think they. I think Tech players view it that, that, that way too. Plus, you know, uh, Drew, you asked me one question. I'll just add this too, and, and I'll you know put a bow on what I'm saying. But another indicator of Tech you know, what I need to see for them to be trending in the right direction is right now Virginia Tech is 0-3 on the road. And they are a typical team where they play better at home. I will know Fry has a hold of this team and his coaches in place and they start winning games on the road, even games they're not expected to. That was always um, an indicator with Virginia Tech where they were able to go on the road. It was an indicator that that was a good Tech to great team is that you know, they were really good on the road. Virginia Tech, first 17 games, when they first went into the ACC, they were 16-1 and one on the road. Um, and that included wins against Miami where they had to win to win the ACC outright. They beat the breaks off Clemson when Eddie Royal had a punt return and Montreal Harris had a kickoff return. Clemson wore that uh, all purple and Tech just smacked them, you know. So that's what you'll see when tech can, can get on the road and win games and then come back home and play a great in front of a great fan base. That'll be another indicator that tech's headed in the right direction. As of right now, you know, I, I trust us at home, even though we haven't been great at home, but we go on the road. It just seems like we, we self-destruct. So that's another thing for fans to look out for the, as an indicator of probably has this team headed in the right direction. It's an inexact science, Dwight, but something along the lines of first win the games you're supposed to win, regardless of whether that's at home on the road, then win the 50-50 yep. games at home, 
then win the 50 50 mm-hmm. games on the road and then start pulling upsets mm-hmm. right home or away and then i, I think we'll be yep. feeling pretty good about where the program's at mm-hmm. yep yes, dwight sir. dwight pleasure as always thanks for coming on with us we can't thank you enough uh, for being a fantastic ambassador to the Virginia Tech community, Virginia Tech podcast community, especially uh, jumping on with us and everybody else. We know you're a busy guy. Uh, let the people know where they can find you, everything you got going on. And uh, yeah, I want to give you the floor here before we uh, close things out. Well, thanks again. First and foremost, thanks again, man. You guys are great as always. I got to get you guys on my victory life stuff with me and Danny Noakes. Um, oh, my boy, you know, Danny. I- I haven't talked to him in a yeah. bit. Yeah, we're recording tomorrow, man. Danny's my dude, man. Um, my guy, man. Um, we're recording a little show tomorrow with Rock Carmichael. So just check me out, man, on Twitter at Vic757. Um, you know, I got the Victory Life movement. That's my practice and my business. We have the Victory Life Legacy podcast that Danny and I do from time to time. We talk a lot of sports. We talk tech. But we talk other stuff, too. Um, and then, of course, I finally – Mike and I are going to record our first episode, allegedly, hopefully, for season three of the Vic 757 show, talking all things tech next week. Um, Mike's been busy. Our schedules haven't been matched, and we had some stuff we're working out with a few sponsors, but we're going to, we're allegedly supposed to record our first episode. So if you're on Twitter, you can catch me on Twitter. If you're on IG, you can catch me on IG at Victory Life. But, um, Thanks for the shout out. Thank you for letting me talk, share my truths and my insight, gentlemen. And um, I love what y'all do. Um, like I said, I've been a fan of Ricky, Mike, all you guys, Ricky, since he was with Tech Sideline. I used to read all his articles and see his tweets. Uh, Ricky was funny to me because Ricky came on the scene. He didn't give a damn. He just was <laughs> like, this guy just saying anything. Like, not like in an ignorant way either. It was all entertaining and truthful. Um, and he hasn't so given I a pre- damn since. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Old habits die hard, I like I guess, that, right? <laughs> no, I like that. That's a compliment. Don't mistake that. That's a compliment. Um, no, so no, I appreciate you guys, man. Thank you so much, man. And um, to the fans that support me and show me love when I come back to Blacksburg or check for me on Twitter, I never, never, it never goes unappreciated. I always appreciate it because. I played 20 some years ago and I love tech and I love the Hokies. I pray for a day where we all can experience not just the winning, but also what that winning does for that community. And when tech wins, everything is just better. The air is better. The sun shines brighter. Chicken tastes better. Everything is better. <laughs> so well, I tell um, you what, Dwight, you've got an open invite on this podcast for sure. I think I can speak for Mike and Andrew in that regard. Yep. Um, so again, thank you for coming on. You're a fantastic guest and the insight that you can offer both on the field and off the field is incredible. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you guys. Appreciate it. All right, boys. We'll see what this game brings this weekend. We'll be back to recap it Sunday or Monday as schedules allow. We'll figure that out. Uh, But big thanks to Dwight Vick. And as always, go Hokies. Mm -hmm.